I just want to start out just first of all, um, before we get going here, just, just to say thank you. Um, beyond just, you know, the regular support. In fact, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember. One of the things that happens sometimes is we get, we get notices from the mission that your support was dropped. In fact, I got a notice from this church that the support was dropped. And it was lowered, and I thought, oh, my heart just kind of sank. What's going on? So I emailed, he said, no, actually, that should be an addition, additional support. And so we got it fixed at the mission. That was one of the good times, but, <laughs> but I, I just want you to know how much we appreciate not only the investment for what it means in Thailand and reaching people for Jesus Christ, but I want you to know how much it means to our family personally. We, um, you know, sometimes we're on the mission field and you just wonder, do people know what's going on? Do they know what's happening to us? And feel like we're over this cliff holding onto this rope and wondering, who's there? Is somebody, is somebody there? And I, I just want to say thank you because when we really needed you, um, you may remember um, from our notes and things after the accident, we were trying to figure out to bring Lisa home while she was still in the coma. We didn't know what was going on. The bill to bring her home was $60,000 on this flight, medical flight. And um, your church was one of the first ones to respond with, with help for that. We got it in 30 days, $60,000. Thankfully, she woke up. We didn't need to spend all the sixty thousand. We spent about thirty thousand with the, her knees and everything she needed, and so uh, we kind of put some of that into her physical therapy fund. And from the time all this has happened until now, God has provided in the last twenty-one months one hundred and thirty thousand dollars for us from our churches. And I can't, I. I can't tell you the testimony that has been with physical therapists and, and um, you know, every two weeks we have a bill of $5,000 with physical therapy and it's, it's just there. In fact, right now, um, we have enough to cover the first two years when we go back to Thailand with physical therapy. It's done. It's there. And we have just enough to do that and that's kind of what we needed. And uh, some of you... Pastor, you, probably, you may not even know this. Some of you uh, not, didn't only just give to the church, but over the past 20 months have given individually. And I want you to know we appreciate that very, very much. And you know who you are, and it has really meant a lot to us uh, beyond that. And really praise the Lord. I'm going to ask, before we get started, I'm going to help Lisa stand up. And she just wants to say thank you also. Her voice is still very weak. It's getting stronger and stronger. Uh, we found out recently, we were wondering why her voice was so weak. The left side of her tongue is partially paralyzed in the back, and so it's still kind of weak, but she'll, you'll understand, I think. No problem. Let me help her get up. Keep going. <laughs> Okay, you good? Yeah. Okay. Um, hello? Hello? You're hello. On. Okay, I'm on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to say thank you for praying, and I could, I could really sense the presence of God when you prayed. I think prayer was the key to that. Psalm 1611 says, in your, presence, in your presence is fullness of joy, and that happened to me. There had joy even in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so prayer matters and it counts so thank you for that and keep praying for the ties that were saved through this that will grow and, and more will come thank you one of the things that um, through this whole thing is my wife has been so full of joy through this, this whole experience and everything that we've gone through. It really, I'm the one that wakes up grumpy. Uh, she has something she says to me a lot of mornings. Um, Don't smile, it'll ruin your day. Um, <laughs> uh, singing or something. I just really appreciate that. Um, 
that that's happened and just how God has really worked through that. I, um, of course, my daughter Kristen is here, and Ricky will tell me a little bit more about the accident and, and kind of what happened to them a little bit. But what I want to do this morning is just kind of a, a little bit a little bit different sort of thing. Um, I want to do this just from my heart and my perspective as I tell you the events uh, leading up to the accident, what's happened the last 21, 22 months through this. And I'm just going to kind of tell you, some of it's just in a really raw way, just how I was feeling at certain moments and what was happening in our lives and, and how God was working and even some of the things that I'm ashamed of that I thought. Um, and how God even used that and, and, and so many of those other things. I want to start just by telling you a little bit about kind of what was happening as we were going through this whole thing. We, you can see where we, where we live. Um, Malaysia to the south, uh, Myanmar or Burma to uh, the west, Laos also bordering Cambodia. And if you go to the very far north tip of Thailand, on a clear day you can actually see the mountains of China has to be a really clear day, and they're not too far away. And so that's kind of the area where we, where we live and minister. This is a picture of us um, a couple months before the accident, about two years ago, I think, uh, at, a, at a friend of ours at a, at, a, at a wedding. One of the things that we were involved in while we were in language school, we spent almost two years full-time in language school. Um, we could do a little bit of ministry. We're allowed to do a little bit. But mainly our, our job, our full-time job, was learning the language the first two years. But we, Lisa did teach um, English. This is one of her students. Anne. And Lisa spent a lot of time. Lisa was a school teacher for many, many years and involved in that. Ricky was involved in some sports things and um, a basketball league and sports ministry with a lot of students. By the way, that's what our son wants to do in the future, some sort of sports ministry. I hope it's in Thailand, but he can choose whatever he wants. <laughs> Kristen also was involved. Um, Kristen had a, a kind of a unique ministry. She went out to the, near the border of Myanmar and worked with the church we were at, worked with kids uh, who were refugees. And she did that a couple times a month, went out there and worked with them and, and did camps. And this is just her having a New Year's celebration there, a celebration called Songkran. It's a really a fun time of year. Um, in June, just a month and a half um, into July before the accident happened, our home church from Visalia, California, came and sent a team, and we were working with orphanages, working um, with, uh, this is a, one of the slum ministries where we just help the kids with their English homework. They just bring their work and, and uh, help them involved in that. We had chosen to go to an area uh, in Thailand, a place called Cha'am, and we picked that place basically because 70% of the people in that area had never heard the name of Christ before. In fact, all of Thailand, about 50%, even in the city of Bangkok, had never even heard the name of Jesus spoken to them. This place even more. No churches, no Christians there. A place called Cha'am. So the team was there just shortly before we moved there to help get this building ready. The brown building on the left, you see three and a half stories. And they turned the third uh, the third story into an apartment for us, and so we were painting, putting up walls, doing a little bit of electrical work, getting that ready, and using the bottom floor for uh, ministry and, and the English center and things like that. So just you know, a couple of weeks really just working and getting things ready for that. And There was a girl that was from our church that wanted to be baptized. I baptized her there. Uh, with one of the Thai pastors and, and one of the other missionaries. Just having, I mean, we were having the time of our lives, folks. <laughs> I mean, really just having the time of, I mean, we, we, you know, just, we were making contacts, we were building this building, we were meeting people in the community, um, just really enjoying ourselves. We're getting the apartment ready, and people from the Bible College, other churches were coming to help. It was just this huge celebration. We spent years raising our support to go. Um, speaking in over a hundred different churches before we went. And we spent almost two years really struggling through. I didn't know if I'd ever get it. And all of a sudden it starts coming. and All the excitement and all the hard work for that. And 
we moved to this city, we moved to this town, and we're just so excited and believing God's going to really do something. And then we had not even completely unpacked our boxes. We got the apartment ready. And August 27th, 2009, Lisa was driving. I, I had gone to the immigration office early in the morning and hoping to get our, everything stamped. Every 90 days we have, to, we have a check-in there. And this was one of the days where they wanted to see everybody, so they said, we'll do your passport. Did my passport and said, you have to send your wife and children back. So I went home and Lisa said, okay, you don't need to go. We had family there visiting us and uh, Lisa said, I'll just take Kristen and Ricky and, and I'll run down to drive down to the immigration office, about 15 minutes away. And she was driving along this road. Keep in mind perspective. We drive on the left side of the road. This is a divided highway here. And Lisa was driving on the right-hand side of the car. Okay, So she's driving on this side, and there's, there's uh, three lanes plus a U-turn lane that you see here. She was in the middle lane driving along, and a motorcycle came uh, behind her and uh, really just kind of driving erratic, driving a little bit crazy, and she just honked at her. In fact, the last thing she remembers, she honked at him to say, you know, hey, watch out, you know, uh, just he was driving crazy. Went around her. The witnesses don't know. They just said he was driving crazy. They don't know exactly. But they figured that as he went around her, he, he wanted to get into the, do the U-turn. And as he went around her to get, he slowed down and then literally just completely stopped in her lane in front of her. Lisa swerved to the right uh, to avoid him, missed him, really saved his life, and hit the light pole on the side that you see right there. This side of the car, actually the left side of the car, Ricky was sitting on this side and Kristen. Uh, keep in mind Lisa's on the other side. So Ricky is in the front seat on the left side and Kristen is sitting in the back seat. Ricky broke or fractured four of his ribs on his left side, had a lot of cuts, bruises, things like that. Kristen fractured her pelvis on both sides. And when the pole came in, trapped her feet under the seat in front of her. And she broke her ankle, hurt the other one, but broke this one. She had a bunch of surgery. In fact, she was in a, uh, she was in a wheelchair for three months uh, at the start of all this. And so this, this is what happened you know, on that day. In fact, I got a phone call about Lisa first and said, your wife's been in an accident, she's unconscious, and I was just kind of crazy. And I said, where are my kids? And they said, we don't know, your kids aren't here. They weren't, didn't even know. And they had taken them to another hospital. Ricky called me from the other hospital and said, Dad, I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what happened. I don't, he was just completely in shock. Didn't know how he got there or what, what had happened. So I went to see them immediately and then uh, saw that they were okay and then went to the other hospital to see Lisa. In a very short time, we, in a few hours, we took her to Bangkok. This is actually in Bangkok. And... Um, she had no injury on her body except for her head. A little bruise on her hand was, was all that she had. And she hit her head uh, really, really hard. She didn't have any bleeding or anything. And the injury is called diffuse axonal injury or a uh, common term brain shearing. And it's really the white and the gray matter that's all in there connected. Um, and the signals that go between those all had shifted all over all over her, her, uh, her brain. And this is what the doctor told us within a couple of weeks. Uh, Dr. Rokchai said, there's no hope for your wife. There's just too much damage. You need to prepare your heart and your children's heart for their mother to die. And that's what, that's what he told us um, at the beginning there. She was on life support. She couldn't breathe on her own, you know, hooked up, hooked up, to, up to everything. We had a doctor from ABWE um, who, who was there, and he looked at everything, and I asked for a second and third opinion. He looked at everything, and he said, unless God does something, she's going to die. There's just too much damage, and the places where the damage, and inside of her brain, all over the place, because of that shearing, lesions all over the place. And the swelling and the pressure on her brain stem was, um, very, it was really a lot, of, uh, a lot of pressure. I... Um, I remember going into the ICU room and I was, it was I think the first night I was alone 
they were, Kristen and Ricky were two and a half hours away. They came up a few days later from that other hospital, and I was there. I went into the room, and I just got on my knees, and I just raised my hands up, and I said, I was just crying out to God. The nurses did not know that I understood Thai. They thought I was just a tourist. And they started to talk between, I could hear them behind, and they were just saying, oh, it's so sad, his wife of the lady is going to die, and just they were going on. And honestly, my first reaction was just this kind of anger. You know, they're just talking about her, and she's laying there. And, and uh, I was just a little bit listening to this behind me, this discussion they're having, a uh, little bit of anger. And then I just started to ask God, show them. Just show them who you are. Um, just do something through this to show these people that you are the living God, that you can do whatever you want to do. And at that, that moment, I started to just get a spark of faith through this whole thing. I'll be honest, I didn't know what God was going to do. I sensed something was going on. At the same time that I had faith, I was really struggling, folks. I want to read, you don't have to go there, I, I challenge you to go there later, but I want to read something. I appreciate some of the Psalms of David so much because he's just so honest with God. I mean, some of the things, if you, sometimes we just read these and, oh, it's, you, you know, we don't understand David struggling, we understand some things are going on in his life. And we just read through them and, and we don't really understand, think about the things that he's saying to God. He's wondering, God, are you there? And these are the kinds of things that David is asking. He's very honest. This is one that I read early on that really meant so much to me because it just really related to me. Psalm 69, the beginning of this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. It's just this picture of in this situation of a flood and the, the water keeps rising and rising. And it's just right here. It's just at the brink of just completely falling apart. I sink in a deep mire. There's no foothold. I mean, he's just stuck in this mud. and The situation, whatever David's going through, this tough situation, not an easy answer. And he's just stuck in this mud. The water's coming up and he can't even move his feet. He can't even budge himself. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I mean, this situation in his life is so great and so powerful and so massive that he just feels it's just coming right, the flood water is just coming right over me and there's nothing he can do. I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. If you can just picture this guy in this situation, he's crying out to God and crying out and crying out and crying out. And he doesn't hear an answer at the beginning. So much so that his, his, his throat is just, it's parched, it's dry, it's dusty. And not only that, he's crying out so much, his eyes are growing dim. You just imagine, God help me. And he, He's just pleading with God on and on and on to where his eyes are just falling asleep and his mouth is dry and he just feels like the flood waters are, are coming over me. And I'll admit to you, there were times when I was saying, God, I remember when I understood God's call, here am I, send me. And my wife stood up, my wife and I stood up with our family and said, we'll go. We studied the language. We did all this preparation. We found this town where there are no believers in Jesus Christ. Most had heard, never heard the name of Jesus Christ. We made it there. And this happens. And I was wondering to God, why are you doing this? Are you punishing me? I mean, did I do something? I mean, what, what, what are you doing here? And I didn't understand. I would say it this way, that I threw some punches at God. I kind of, at the beginning, felt bad about that, but then I was reading David, and I came to the conclusion that God is big enough to handle my punches. Think about it. 
I'm not going to surprise him with something, I'm going to, a question that I have to him. I looked at some of the things that Job said. He's so honest. And I appreciate those guys and, and how they suffered and how they were so honest. And, and God wasn't angry at them for what they were saying. He's just crying out. I, I love if you, David's writings. They're songs. I've talked to a lot of songwriters. Not very many songwriters sit down in one hour and write a song. They write the beginning of a song or a piece of a song because of something they're going through or an experience they're going through. They write it, and it usually just sits there for a while. And I imagine that's what David did here with a lot of his. Because the first half of many of his psalms, he's just crying out to God, What are you doing, God? I'm here. My enemies are here. All these things are happening. Where are you? So I think my picture is he wrote this, these songs, and he set them aside. And because they weren't easy answers, it took, it took time to seek what God was going to do. But when he saw what God did, and he, I think he remembers, you know, I wrote a song about that. I think he went out, grabbed whatever he wrote it on, and said, I'm going to finish that now. And he finished it with praises. Although I was upset, I had an understanding and a sense that I would finish with praises. I wasn't at that point. But I had a sense that I'd finish this song that I was on uh, with some praises. And I want to tell you a little bit more about that. One of the things also that, that happened, uh, some of you read some of the things that my daughter was writing uh, at that time in her blog, and it was so powerful. I just kept telling her, don't write for anyone else, just, just write for me. Just do this for me. And, and she was experiencing in the hospital and going through all these things, and we were visiting mom every day with the doctor saying these things and the other thing was my son Ricky you know in a crowd of people it sometimes just takes one person who really believes and everyone else is just electrified with faith when everyone's doubting everyone's wondering what's going on for me that was my son there were many nights we went back to this little um, uh, studio room uh, studio apartment like a next to the hospital, because um, we lived two and a half hours away. and There were many nights that I was on the floor just crying as I sat there with my son and daughter, and we were just talking, and I would just, my heart would really just crash in on me. I was just, I was just so upset. I didn't know what to do. That my son would just grab my hand and say, Dad, you need to get in bed. Uh, you need to get in bed. And he would just look at me and he said, Dad, I, I don't understand this but I just don't feel that fear. I feel an excitement because I believe God is going to do something with mom. And many, many nights, my son said that to me, especially the first month. And it ministered to me so much. And I began to take that. Uh, and other people began to take that. You know, the church that we attended for two years, they're a small Thai church um, actually, in Thailand, it's a large church, about 100 people in this church. Um, when they heard the words, no hope, and it's a very specific and very interesting meaning in Thai, when they, but when they heard that, the finality of that phrase, they went back to the church and they prayed. They had 24-hour sign-ups and they had people signing up, praying until she woke up. And they said, no hope. Let's pray. I mean, that's what the church does when we hear those kinds of things. And um, um, obviously, she, she began to wake up, but we waited for almost three months, crying out to God, saying, what are you doing? What's happening? We didn't know for sure. We had a sense of this, but we just, we just didn't know. And then this was the beginning of her waking up. Um, at, at this moment, and we... we uh, we videotaped, you can go to our website and see the videotape of this. But the first thing um, that happened is she kind of woke up and she was opening her eyes, but just a blank look, not really looking and not connecting or anything. And, and uh, at this point, the doctor said, I don't think she's going to die. To me, that was victory. I mean, the, the, she was going, so God was doing something because you, she was going to die. And so... Um, but he kind of just kept downplaying everything. 
and said at, at this point he was telling us she's never going to wake up. She's probably going to be in a persistent vegetative state. And that's, if she doesn't die, that's what's going to happen. And she might be that way 10 years. We don't know. Um, so then th- this day, she opened her eyes and Kristen was there reading or something. And I was just reading a psalm to her. And um, she looked at me. And I thought, well, it looks like she's really looking at me. And she whispered, praise the Lord. I thought, I'm dreaming, I'm, you know, something. So Kristen came over and she looked at her and said, Mom, look at me. And she looked right at her. She said, Mom, what did you say? And she said, praise the Lord. She doesn't remember this at all. And then she said, I love you. Um, I, we just got excited. Did she really say that? And I was so glad Kristen was there because I thought I, I might have thought I imagined it. So I ran to get the doctor. Okay? And uh, the doctor came in. I mean, just, I think, right before the doctor came in, Lisa just, <laughs> again. Okay, so he said, okay, well, sometimes you want to believe things. I said, I think she's waking up. I really think she's waking up. It's not, I really feel like she's connecting. So this happened over the next three days, a number of times. I'd run to get the doctor, every time. Okay? And she was saying more. And, she was, and I would say, look at your daughter. She'd look right at her daughter, and she'd say, I love you, and... And she doesn't really remember this at this moment, but I could see she's saying something. It's just a, a faint whisper. So then the doctor wanted me to see a psychologist. I'm serious. He said some, he took me aside one day and said, you know, sometimes people want to, but, you know, we've done the tests again. There's no, and there was never any improvement from the tests, the MRIs, the CAT scans. So he said, we've done the tests again that, you know, it's just uh, still, there's no improvement at all. Nothing is improved. And so finally, one day, she was really alert this day, and she was just kind of looking, and she, she remembers this day. And uh, so I went to get the doctor. I told Kristen, clap, sing, whatever you need to do. And, and he came in, and she had been whispering and having little conversations with us, and she looked at the doctor when he came in. I told her, the doctor's coming in. Please, please stay awake. And he came in, and uh, she said... Uh, she said, um, Doctor, how are you today? And he looked at her and said, in Thai, back to her, you can understand me? And Lisa responded, I can. And he looked at me and he said, your wife speaks Thai. And I, I wish I had said, no, no, my, my personality, I mean, I wish I had... An hour later, I was thinking I should have said, uh, no, she never spoke Thai. <laughs> um, I was thinking that just minutes later. But I said, yes, she, she learned Thai. He said, I didn't know that. And he put his hand. Um, the, these were the days. She, this was the, the days afterwards. And uh, we were explaining to her. He put his hand on my shoulder. And he said... Um, Ajan um, Rick or pa- Pastor Rick, he said, you know, this is a miracle. It's impossible. I've never seen anyone wake up like this. And it's a miracle, and it's the first miracle that I've ever seen. I've heard about things, but this is the first one. Uh, this, was, this was the day that um, we were telling her, and she really understood that she was in a coma. For, we didn't know when to actually tell her all this. She was in a coma. ICU for 40 days, a coma for three months, and, and she just kind of looked at me kind of with wonderment and said, wow. And that's all she said. She loved that word, by the way, for about two months. She said that word a lot. And these are the moments. We happened to have my two best friends there, deacons in our church in California. They were there, and I, I'm just so appreciative. I didn't realize they were snapping pictures at this moment. Um, but these are, these are those couple of days that she was waking up. This was the day that we were trying to not put too much pressure on her, and she'd only wake up for a little bit, and then she did a lot of sleeping. Um, we had a picture, about 40 or 50 pictures in this picture book, of people, friends, and family, and she named, the doctor was there, she named every single person there. My wife has no memory loss. What she's dealing with now She's dealing with the trauma that when she had the head injury, the signals and the trauma that went to her whole body because of her nervous system. 
Um, but she has no memory loss except for one thing. Well, she doesn't remember the accident, but one other thing from our past. And it's the only thing that she's forgotten. And my prayer from the very beginning is that she would be completely whole. But the only thing that she's ever forgotten is that every night at the end of the day, she gave me a two-hour back rub. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't remember that. And, I mean, I need some... We, you know, we stayed here with, with uh, Jerry and Penny for four or five days last... Jerry, will you tell her and remind her that she did that? Somebody just said, remember you're in church. Remind her that she used to... Now, I want her to be whole. Um, but she has not every song... My wife's a singer. She's a national Talents for Christ winner. She sings, and she, she, every song, hymn, everything she ever sang, she remembers. Every verse she ever memorized in Awana, she remembers everything. Um, just everything. Uh, and it's just absolutely amazing. Even we were talking to physical therapists, and we've been here, we've showed all the records to new doctors, we're getting ready to see a doctor, and every time they look at it and say, it's impossible. Especially, not that she'd wake up and be sort of functioning. She remembers everything. And, and we just praise, praise the Lord for that. The therapist on the left side here um, came to me at one point, And she was working with Lisa. And she said, um, she said, you know, and she worked with Lisa from the very first day. They'd come in and move her arms, even when she was in ICU, all these things. She came to me and said, um, you know, we had a meeting. All the therapists had a meeting with the neurologist before we started working with Lisa to tell what's going on and everything. And she said, the doctor, um, the doctor told us, I want you to know this patient is going to die. But when you go in there, you do your job, do your duty, you do it for the family, show them that you're working hard and doing everything that we possibly can, but she's going to die. So when Lisa woke up, she came to me. And she said, I want to know what temple that you went to? What image of Buddha did you bow down to? What was your prayer and how much money you gave to the temple? Because in their minds, that's what you do. They will tell you, you need to do good works to get things like that. You need to do good works. And I just stepped back, and I had that conversation with many, many people. Because we were there six months. We became, I became very close with them. Lisa did also. Lisa only had three months with them, but we had six months with these people. And I said the same thing. I just asked them, what did you see us do? Well, we saw you praying. We saw you praying to this. We heard you praying to this Jesus. I said, I didn't give any money. There's no special prayer, no image that I bowed. Because they bow down to images all the time. That's just what they do. I did nothing except I asked the true and living God to do something. I asked Jesus and through God's power, he answered me. And she looked at me she said, it must be. It must be. We had a steady flow of people who we didn't know from the hospital coming in. Um, they designated her room the lucky room. Um, um, and just all, this, uh, all, all kinds of people coming in. The CEO of the hospital came down, an American man. Uh, it's a huge international hospital and just wanted to see what happened here, why this happened, and just excited about it, and we got to talk to a lot of people. This was one of the only, only one of two Christians that we knew of at the hospital. It's a huge hospital. Uh, her name was Pancake, and she just loved Lisa. She ran around telling people, hey, did you see God did a miracle in her? And he was, I mean, she just really took advantage of it. It was very, very exciting. And these are just some of the other physical therapists um, that Lisa had at the beginning, early on, and some of the nurses there. Uh, this nurse here, uh, Jume, and this nurse, Toy. Uh, show you their pictures. Show you their pictures one more time here. This is Toy and Jume. They, um, this nurse, Jume, had never heard the name of Jesus Christ before. And when we had the pastors, the Thai pastors come in, we said, "Could you speak in Thai? Could you share?" You know, and we had the nurses stay. And these two nurses were on, on Lisa, twelve-hour shifts, stayed in her room because of the needs were a little bit greater than. The regular nurse ward could, could do. So these two nurses were in her room 12 hours, and the next one would come in. 
and we had these nurses most of the time. And uh, one of the things that Lisa would do is she would say, um, uh, listen, my tie's not very good. I don't read tie. Would you get the Thai Bible and would you read it to me? So I would walk in many times and the nurse is reading from Romans or reading something about the life of Christ and and all these things. And uh, a little bit different each situation, but um, one of the things, I think it was Jum who said, you know, I just saw when you, you were in the coma and all these things, so much peace in your family. And I'm reading these things about Jesus and I'm watching all this and I see that you're praying to Jesus the whole time and I see that something amazing happened here. And she came in one day and said, I think I believe in Jesus. And I said, well, what do you mean? You have to ask what they mean because sometimes they just add Jesus to Buddhism and it's very simple for them. Just... And she said, I said, well, what do you think about Buddhism? She said, I don't think I can go to the temple. I mean, I saw this. I see who Jesus is. And Lisa, I mean, Lisa had three months where every day she's, Lisa's selecting something for her to read. And both of these nurses, uh, Toy and Jum, and, and they both came and said, I just see that God did something. I think, I praise the Lord for this so much, because when we left, Lisa said to me, when we were getting on the airplane and, and the, they, were, they were bringing her in on the stretcher thing, she said, on the airplane, she said, she looked at me and she said, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. And she said, just for Jum and Toy. I said, I think you're right. I think it's significant that our, the first two people that came to Jesus Christ as a result of us being there were in the hospital. That we had nothing to do about. And we really saw that as a short-term assignment from God. I mean, he put us there. We couldn't run away from it. And we really praise the Lord that that happened. It was very, very exciting. This is the day we left, and it was just a lot of fun. A bunch of the pastors that came that were very close to these guys. I mean, I went there to be a servant to these guys. And these guys held me up. For six months, they were with me. They cried with me. They prayed with me. These churches in Thailand brought us money. They don't, they don't have much. They'd bring equivalent of like $30 every week. Somebody gave this. People would come from the church and give us money and just, just wanted to know they were praying for us and praying for us 24 hours. These guys really ministered to me in a great way. I said we had just moved to a place called Cha'am outside of Bangkok. This is the couple that we moved with. And the original agreement that we had, um, I'm going to go a few, mo- a few moments over today, just to let you know. Okay, Okay. good. Um, Actually, Pastor said, we only get to see you every three or four years, so take as much time as you want. Um, But this pastor and his wife, they're just newly married. They both graduated from the Bible college there, approached us uh, many months before we moved to Cha'am and said, um, we want to be church planters. Would you, Rick, would you disciple me? Would you and Lisa disciple us into ministry and church planting. And so we um, went into a three-year commitment to each other that during we'd go to Cha'am together and we investigated there. They actually moved down there with us. That during those three years, everything, that we wanted to just simplify it, but during those three years, everything that I taught him about ministry, after those three years, he must take someone else and teach him the exact same thing. The, everything I taught him, he has to teach to someone else. And so that after those three years, if he wanted to go somewhere else and plant a church, he would have to take someone with him. And that was kind of the agreement we had and the discipleship agreement we had. At the same time, he would kind of disciple me into how to really do this within the context of Thailand in a, in a, in a Buddhist culture. And so after the accident, we told them, listen, you're not... There's, you're not committed to staying down there because it's, they're completely alone. And the reason we wanted to go with them so that we had some other believers there. They decided um, after our first few months, actually even before we, Lisa woke up, I said, I don't know if I'm ever going back there. And they said, we want to continue. We feel like God wants to. And it was a hard step for him because he said, I never wanted to start this alone. Um, but they decided to continue, and they did. And uh, they got the building ready and got chairs in there, windows out front, and just started inviting kids 
uh, to the kids' program, a slum that was close by. The center is actually a kilometer from the beach. It's in a, uh, about a quarter of a mile from the beach. A beautiful place, um, but some poverty, a lot of poverty also. And so the kids are coming. They're having a great time. They just, uh, I, Pastor Ong and his wife just had a, a new baby. So their names are Ong, On, and Anna. And I get it messed up all the time. But they're there. I, I want to ask you to pray for them because they're by themselves in a place. Um, there are no other Christians there. And it's tough sometimes. They have one lady who was coming for a little while who said, I would like a little bit more understanding. Could, could we study the Bible together? And so they're meeting, they're meeting with this lady on a regular basis. And they've continued to stay, the ministry, stay in the ministry there. And, and uh, it's really great. We, when we go back to Thailand, our goal is to go back in August. And Lisa will continue physical therapy there. But when we go back, we cannot go back to Cha'am. Uh, they just don't have the services, physical therapy that Lisa needs. And so... Um, we've told them we're not going to be able to go back. And just last month, I said, if, I understand if you don't want to stay there, if you want to go do something else, somewhere else. And they said, no, we really, really want to stay. Um, but it is tough for them. So we've raised a little bit of money to one of the Bible college students are going to go down there. It's two and a half hours away. Are going to go from Bangkok down there. We'll pay for their uh, getting them down there and just help them every week and one or two of the Bible college students. It'll really be a big boost for them and help, especially with the new baby and stuff. We're also praying because um, um, we were actually renting the building there and we were going to live in the building, so it wasn't going to cost us anything. But to, to pay for their salary, to pay for the rent of the building, to pay for all the ministry expenses, utilities, everything, is only $1,000 a month. It runs the entire church plant there including paying their salary. Right now, we only have about 600 a month of that. And that's one of the challenges for us right now. We did have somebody give a large gift that will take them the next four or five months. But we're, we're, if you'd really pray for them, and I, I just have to keep telling them, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, and He keeps providing. Um, but it has sustained it uh, for over a year now since we left, and we really, really praise the Lord for that. I want to share a little bit, just share with you guys some things that we're learning here. I'm going to end with this. Um, go through what four things that have really meant a lot to us from the Word of God as we've kind of experienced uh, this trial in our lives um, and what's, what's, what we've learned from that. First of all is this. We don't need to know anything about tomorrow. Or excuse me, we don't know anything about tomorrow and we don't need to know if we know Jesus. Think about this. You don't know anything. You, if you, re, the reality is you don't know anything about this afternoon, do you? I mean, we think we do. I think my wife's going to the luncheon, my wife and daughter, and uh, I think I'm going to go pack the car and we're going to head back to the Tri-Cities. I think I know all this and know tomorrow, but the reality is you don't. You don't know anything about even the next few moments in your life, the next few days, you just don't know. I didn't know we were going to be going through this. I have thought about it. I don't want to know what's coming in my life. I think if I had known about that, I would have gone crazy. I just, I just would have broken down. Um, but you really don't, if you, need to know, if you know Jesus. Now, a couple of verses are very, very familiar to all of you. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. I have memorized that verse. I, have, I love sharing that verse. I love talking about that verse. But when I was sitting in the ICU room with my wife, that verse, that truth, really sustained me. All things work together. I came to a conclusion, as I thought about that verse sitting there with my wife, that if... My wife was healed or she passed away. Both are victory. Isn't that true? Amen. And if she had died, God would use our family, He'd use me to show people how to respond in those situations. And I was just praying, Lord, if she dies, help me, because I don't know if I'm going to do it the right way. This verse also. 
For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If my wife had died while she was there, and if she had passed away, not only victory, but there was also the truth that sustained me that her soul could not be touched. You can't touch your soul if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and it's secured with the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. It can't be touched. So we would go in there. I told the kids, go in, when you go in there, you talk to mom and you pray and remember that her soul is 100%. It can't be touched. Cancer can't touch it. Um, AIDS can't touch it. A head injury... Traumatic brain injury, it can't, your soul cannot be touched if it's covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. That truth alone sustained me, sustained me in the darkest hours. I would be in that ICU room and, and just the sense and the weight of the worst moment of my life. And yet I was filled, filled with more peace than I've ever felt before. I can't even explain it to you that the worst moments in my life are also the most treasured moments I have with the Lord. But doesn't God promise that? I mean, He does. And He will do that. And He wants to do that. Secondly, this. Uh, Today's mercies are for today's troubles. Every day God appoints a measure of pain and pleasure for that day. You don't appoint what's happening to you today. Only God appoints that. So if it's mercy, if it's joy, if it's pain. There's a song I think all of you will remember day by day. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure mingling toil with peace and rest. I mean, I was there. All this toil and yet so much peace and rest. In fact, there are moments that I had in the room with my wife and, and just the presence of God and the peace of God was so strong. It's more real to me than you sitting before me right now. It's just awesome. And it really, really was wonderful. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. True? Even on the best of days, they have a, they're full of trouble um, and things that we worry about. And then this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So when you finish a day full of trouble and trial and fear and wondering about tomorrow, you finish the day, I remember laying my head down at night and saying, I just don't know if I can do it tomorrow. I mean, I just was spent spiritually and physically and emotionally just completely spent. But the reality is you can't treasure up or hold on to the mercies today, so I'm going to save those for tomorrow. You can't do that, but the reality is you don't need to do that. Because when you wake up, God says, I'm going to give you new mercies. I'm going to give you just what you need for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm only going to give you what you need today. And it's, it's more than enough. Um, I mean, the Holy Spirit will give you everything that you possibly need. And he does it day after day after day. And I was sustained that way for three months. Third, when I cannot seem to find God in my, in my situation, he knows where I am. This is really, really important. Um, it's found in Job. This passage is in Job, and it's really, really beautiful. Job says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. I, and backwards, I do not perceive him. He says, As I go forward and I look, I'm trying, in, in the picture here, I'm trying to see what God is doing. And so I go forward and I just don't see it. I go backwards, I just don't have a perception of what he's doing and what's happening in my life. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, I don't see him. So he's talking and he's thinking about his situation. He's looking forward, backwards, left, right. He's looking all over the place. That's the picture here. He's looking everywhere and he just doesn't see what God is doing. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, something's happened in your life 
and you just don't understand, you don't see, at that moment, you don't see what God is doing. I felt like that. God, I'm here. I'm crying out to you. Why won't you answer? And I ask many questions. Even now I sometimes ask, why did you wait so long, Lord? I mean, you could have done it just like that. Why did you wait so long? And uh, I didn't see what God was doing. I didn't understand it. But listen to this, the next part of this verse. All those things, left, right, back, forward. I don't see what God is doing. I don't perceive it. But He knows the way that I take. So if you think about it, the real important thing in that situation is not that you see what God is doing. You understand what God is doing. The real important thing is God knows right where you are. I mean, isn't that true? He knows, and so He knows the path that I'm on. He sees it. The reality is He's thinking about you all the time. He's intimately concerned about you and His heart is turned toward you. His face is turned. He knows where you are. So if you don't see what He's doing, just remember He knows right where you are. He knows the path you're on and there's a purpose. I don't want to even try to explain what that purpose might be for you, but there is a purpose. Last one is a... uh, is a part of a poem. I'll read you the whole, the entire poem in just a second. It's part of a poem um, titled "God Moves in a Mysterious Way" uh, by William Cowper, written a long, long time ago. In fact, he was he was an apprentice um, to John Newton. You know who John Newton is, right? He wrote "Amazing Grace." He was his apprentice, and he wrote many, many songs with him. And they actually did a hymn book together. But this song, or it was started as a poem. Um, titled God Moves in a Mysterious Way. One of the lines is this, Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Somebody gave me a book called The Hidden Smile of God. It was written by John Piper. Part of it was about this man's life and the depression and the difficult things that he went through. And I read this line, Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And I read it and I, the first thought I thought of when I was thinking about my situation, is could God be smiling? I mean, right now, is it possible that God... I mean, I I almost felt like God was frowning at me. I just didn't understand it. Could God be smiling? And if He's smiling, why is He smiling? I mean, I'm crying out to Him. I'm, I'm pleading with Him to do something. I think... There's a sense in which we understand when God sees His children suffering. We saw this. Jesus does have compassion. He does have tears. But I think also, because He understands what He's going to do, there's a sense in which He's smiling behind that seemingly bit of frowning at us. Here is the the entire poem. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter. He will make it plain. I hope you, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I understand in a group this size that there are many people hurting here today. There are health issues. More than ever now, there are financial issues. People are scared about that. Um, just as bad as some of the health fears, I think. Whether it's an accident or cancer, or things with your children, whatever may be going on, I want you to know 
um, that God's face is on you. I mean, his face is turned towards you. His heart is beating with a passion and love for you. I don't understand why you might be going through those things, and I'm just beginning to see a little bit of why we've gone through the things that we've gone through. But I can tell you that behind a frowning providence, whatever the outcome might have been for us, He hides a smiling face. He loves you. He adores you um, as a, as a child of His. That is a is a passion and love that's greater than anything you could ever imagine. And He's there to help. I want to pray for you, Father. I I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this church what they've meant to us. And I just ask you, Lord, to minister to this body of believers and use this body of believers in a mighty way, and um, especially right now for Ben and Tara, who are there, an extension of this body, that you'd use them in such a, a great and mighty way. And when they, I'm so excited when they come back. I almost wish I could be here uh, to hear their stories and see the impact they're going to have on the lives here. And I just ask you, as this church goes forward, you would use them in a greater way, in a, in a more mighty way than you ever have before. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mighty to save. The offering's off. Did the Lord speak to you today? I think probably for all of us, there's some way in which God is saying you need to move forward. There's some there's some something maybe that's held us back that needs to stop holding us back. We've had a great testimony today of the fact that if God calls you to it, God will make it possible for you to do whatever that thing is, um, even when you think you're not capable. We're going to sing the song that uh, the worship team uh, taught us during the offering today. Our God is mighty to save. Let's stand and sing together. Needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, kindness of a Savior, hope of my life to follow everything I believe in now I surrender Savior he can move the mountains my God is mighty to save he is mighty to save Forever, author of salvation, 
Jesus, thank you for conquering the grave. Thank you for bringing us salvation. And now for calling us on to some greater things. No doubt some different challenges in every life represented here today. Help us.